This episode is brought to you by the new year. May this 2023 be a sleigh for everyone. <laughs> that was good. That was so cheesy. Welcome back, everybody, to my fave girl chemist. I'm your host, Geraldo. And I'm Beck. We're very excited to start the new year with season four of My Fave Queer Chemist. It's been almost three years of sharing amazing stories with y'all. As you may have seen on our Twitter, we've started collecting new nominations for people to be on the show, so make sure to check that out and share with your communities. So with that, here's our show. All right. Hello, everybody. Today, we are really excited to introduce y'all to a truly amazing scientist. Would you mind introducing yourself? Not at all. Uh, My name is Matthew Wellmers. I use he or they pronouns. And I work as the analytical chemist for INX, International Ink Company. We make printing ink for industrial printers. So things like cans printed in the United States, as well as food packaging, all sorts of things. I got my undergraduate degree at Rose Holman Institute of Technology. I also got a master's degree there as well, where I worked on anode liquids in engine oils to improve lubricity of engine oils. Uh, it was a project that started off as a industrial tie-in with the Cummins Engine Company. And uh, when I needed to do a master's project, it was there for me to continue. <laughs> Awesome. Very cool. Well, I'm very excited personally to dig into this interview because I know nothing about, I mean, the the role of chemists in making ink, especially at the industrial scale. So I'm yeah. very excited to learn more about that. Um, but starting from the beginning, um, so you, as you said, you completed your undergraduate studies at Rolls-Holman Institute of Technology in Terre Haute, Indiana. Um, where you also obtained a master's degree. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you found your way to chemistry and then what your experience was at these uh, at this institution, um, specifically as an LGBTQ plus person? Yeah, absolutely. So as a child, I loved science. Uh, I loved looking at things and investigating and uh, wanted to know why things were the way they were. Uh, It wasn't until middle school that I settled on chemistry. Biology was too squishy for me. I had to deal with (laughs) live things than not live things. And uh, physics was too abstract and too math heavy. And so chemistry was really like the perfect middle point between the two of them. Uh, While I was in high school, I found out about a summer program that Rose offers called Catapult, where they bring in students who've completed their junior year are going to be seniors over the summer between the junior and senior year and they bring them on campus for like three weeks and they get an engineering project to work on oh. and so my project was improving the conversion of no2 to no3 using some transition metal complex this was a very long time ago I, exactly <laughs> I feel like it was nickel based but i could be making that up um but that really whole that whole experience was awesome because i finally found my people not from like a queer sense but just like a you know these are the really nerdy people the people i can tell the nerdiest jokes with and they would laugh and i wouldn't have to explain them which was really nice um after that i decided well this engineering thing wouldn't be too terrible i'm going to be an engineer and applied to rose and to other colleges but i really wanted to go to rose and i figured if i was going to go to an engineering college i needed to study engineering 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as it turns out, I didn't. Rose is number one undergraduate engineering college. And I like to joke and say I got a master's degree in chemistry from them because ultimately I got into engineering. I hated it. I hated mm-hmm. it so much. It was just like, here's a problem. Great. And I was like, next problem. And they're like, no, no, no. You have to solve the same problem a hundred times. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to do this problem over again. I want to do a new problem. Uh, and meanwhile, I mean, so this is this culminated in the spring quarter of my sophomore year. I'm taking thermodynamics and organic chemistry. And Ooh. I'm spending three hours a night on my thermodynamics homework. And I'm like barely scraping a C. Meanwhile, I 20 minutes before class is due, I'm pounding out my OCHEM homework. And I managed to scrape a better grade in OCHEM than I did in <laughs> thermo. And someone was like, why are you an engineer? And I was like, I never thought I could quit. <laughs> Apparently you can. And I left engineering after failing another thermal test. I said, I'm done. And I was like, I'm just going to go back to what I know I left. And that is chemistry, uh, which ultimately turned things around. Um, I did a lot better in my chemistry courses. I did have to take uh, OCHEM 2 again. But that was a fun second time around. As for, so that's the science stuff. As for the, the queer stuff, uh, it developed a little bit more independently. I actually fell in love with my current husband uh, freshman year, and I had I was not quite out yet. That's so cute. Yeah, it's oh, it's oh, it's so sweet. Yeah, so we College met because, sweethearts. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so we're both named Matthew, and at Rose, the uh, housing director has this fun little game where he puts all the people named Matthew on one floor, unless you request to be with somebody else on a different floor. So we met freshman year. Um, and I immediately start falling in love with him. But I'm not quite out yet. I don't quite know what I'm feeling. And I end up with a girlfriend. And it was great. We dated for about a year. And then she had to leave Rose. And it was really a relationship of proximity and not anything else. So we break up. And meanwhile, my now husband is there for me, comforting me. And I, I tried my hardest in college to get him to date me. And it uh, did not work out. Turns out we both needed time to date other people, to have real relationships. And then in 2019, I was in the area and uh, asked to meet up for dinner. And he was like, very straightforward, was like, are you dating anyone? I'm like, well, kind of, but not really. He's like, do you want a date? I was like, sure. And uh, if you didn't know that we had at this point known each other for almost 10 years, (laughs) what I will say next is gonna be kind of shocking. Uh, We started dating in September of 2019 by leap day 2020 the end of february he proposed to me that's very you know that's like it's very sweet it's also like you know what gay person hasn't almost proposed or proposed after you know a few months you know it's like a it's part of the queer experience it is part of it yeah (laughs) the timeline is different the timeline yeah yeah yeah. this is it makes a lot more sense this is completely unrelated and I'm sorry I'm making this comment but I saw an internet I don't know it was Twitter or something that gay relationship timelines are very different from like hetero relationship timelines yeah it, it happens also crunch but it's like just the way we are and we love and yeah it is what it is <laughs> okay sorry <Back. laughs> no, totally exactly I, we, I got we got married this past October back at campus which is really sweet because they have a beautiful chapel and it was a wonderful wonderful day um 
but back to college. So after, and I'll talk about this a little bit later on, but after not getting any, any PhD programs after undergrad, I got into Rose and I was like, I still think I want to do the academic thing. So I'm going to stay at Rose to get a master's degree. And while I was an undergraduate degree, I was involved with a chemistry professional fraternity called Alpha Chi Sigma. And uh, one of the nice things about that uh, organization is once you graduate, you don't have to be involved as an undergraduate or a, a collegiate member. And so I did it hard after doing my time. I did three years. And I was like, thank you. This has been a wonderful opportunity, but I'm going to focus on a different part of my life. Uh, and that was about the same time that I attended my first OSTEM conference, which we'll talk about in a bit too. But I really took those two years in my graduate school to focus on the combination of not just being a chemist, but also being queer in chemistry. Oh, we love that. And we can I can't wait to jump into that. Amazing. Yeah, I feel like that's a very, like, I don't know, I, at least a lot of the graduate students that we've had on the show I feel like that's a very common experience like kind of once you get into graduate school you're a little bit like more knowledgeable of yourself like you've done a little bit of maturing and growing up and I feel like that's a lot like that's kind of the time period where a lot of people either like really start to dive into their like queer identity or like really start to connect that with their scientific identity and their like kind of academic career. So I feel like that's like a really common experience that we've kind of heard throughout the podcast, but that's really awesome. Yeah. Okay. Let's get, yeah. get into the, I know questions. I want to get yeah. into that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, but before we get into your, your experience with OSTEM, which I think this is more or less at the same time happening, but more in your career aspect after your master's you then moved to industry right to work as a research chemist and a company for a few year and now like you mentioned you are an analytical chemist at um inx the in company um how was your experience or how has been your experience working in industry at these two different companies in general yeah, so it's been interesting uh after going to a relatively small school there was like mm, 2,500 people at rose uh student-wise very small. Uh, I found myself working for a very small company. And when I say very small, I mean, I was at their R&D facility that was like eight people and three of those people were admin people. So it, it wasn't a startup, but it certainly was not the type of industry that uh, it could have been. Uh, it was really nice because I was used to working in such a small environment. So it served as a nice transition from like being at a place where I know everyone to just needing a job. And I will say it was awful uh, looking for a job, as I'm sure everyone who's ever looked for a job knows. You put all these interviews, you put all these like feelers. Uh, one of the experiences that I think was the hardest was the fact that I was constantly could get like contract work as somebody who takes pH and records it. Uh, that really is one of the uh, most frustrating, even still to this day. I have five years of experience now at this point. I still get random texts and calls and emails about contract positions for some unnamed company that I'm pretty sure is just Avid or AdFree based on where I live uh, and where they're recommending I work. And I have a master's degree. I'm not, you know, if I would understand if I had a four-year degree or even a two-year degree, but I have a master's degree. So it took me a little bit of time to find a job. 
but the first company was really nice for what it was. It was still in organic chemistry. At the time, I presumed myself to be an organic chemist, probably because that's what I first found after leaving engineering was organic chemistry. Uh, fun fact, I'm not organic chemist. I'm an analytical chemist now. But that comes about a little bit later. I did that job for two years, uh, two to three years. It was good at first, but it had a small company. There was no support structure. I had to take vacation time to do any of my OSTIN stuff. They weren't explicitly against it, but they weren't an enthusiastic supporter of it either, um, which was difficult. But I managed to make it work. Uh, about the time that like I was like, okay, this is I've outgrown this company. Uh, I was applying to a bunch of places. INX called me and they're like, hey, we think we have a fit for you. Are you free to do a phone interview? And uh, before the end of the week, I was on site doing another interview, uh, doing an in-person interview. And it was not for what I expected. I was expecting more organic chemistry, but they're like, we think you'd do really well in analytical lab. And I was like, well, I know how to run instruments. Sure, I'll take a whack at it. Um, and it was exactly what I needed because honestly, all of the classes that I loved as an undergrad, undergrad student, were all analytical chemistry dressing up as another subject. So it rose, one of the courses they offer is organic structure determination. It's a lab you take your junior year, it's full 10 weeks. You get six bottles that are unlabeled except for one, two, three, four, five, six, and you have to figure out what's in them. For the first one, it's no analytical instrumentation. For the last one, it's a mixture and you have to identify and separate both compounds. I loved this course. This course is the first course I got like a 99% in. Um, I did so well. And I always took it at its face value. It says organic. It has to be organic chemistry. No, it was analytical chemistry dressing up as organic chemistry. And that's what I loved. I loved the instrumentation. I loved the puzzle of figuring out what it was. And that's exactly what I do now. Most of the time I'm working on projects that are frequently, one of our printer customers has buildup from the printer because they're printing ink and ink dries funny sometimes or things fall out of ink. And they bring it to me and I figure out what it is. Or they have Prop 65 regulations. I've done some projects around quantifying components that are on the Prop 65 list. I've done a wide variety of projects here. And uh, it's something new every day, which I also really appreciate. Uh, it's not the same reaction. I'm monitoring 12 different conditions for trying to make sure they all line up and work perfectly. Uh, it's a wide variety of different projects and it's really been amazing working in industry. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah. It's you're still doing like yeah, chemistry that you would do in a, in, a, in a lab. It's just your your material is a different material. It's just you know the ink and all that. that's that's so cool. So is it largely like I guess like I I mean I don't know much about this field subfield industry of kind of like working for an ink company, but like what is you're like day to day, like what's a normal day like yeah. working there? So I usually come in at about 9.30, um, which is great because half the lab comes in at like 6 a.m. They'll leave at 3 p.m. and I handle 6.30, but I'm a night out. Oh, anyway. gotcha, gotcha. Um, <laughs> in fact, they're kind of like, it's nice to have you here so late just in case somebody comes in. 
Uh, I'm like, yeah, I, I also can't get up at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> uh, so it is nice to get in at 9.30. Yeah. Um, I, it'll depend on what I'm doing. So currently I've got a couple projects. Uh, one of them is film-based. So it's plastic film that is a multi-layer film used for packaging of food products. I think in this case, it's beef jerky. And they want to know if there's a coating on the innermost layer or if there is an additive that they've added into one of the other layers. And so mm -hmm. I'm using FTR microscopy to identify the various layers and the chemical composition of those. Um, I've also got another project that has come back to haunt me. Uh, the same company, it's a different print job. It's ironically the same product, it's Hawaiian bread. And they're getting built up for a different a brand I've never heard of, Hawaiian bread. And I have checked it by FTIR, and it is the same, exact same thing as last time, which is kind of nice because I couldn't just come to my report from last time. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, it's that's cool. Work. Yeah. So it's largely like taking in like, like from the the consumers or like com companies that use your ink, they like. Yeah come to you with any issues send or... samples gotcha sometimes, okay okay sometimes we get in competitor samples i don't tend to do a lot of competitive analysis um but we do get competitive samples where they're like we got this thing from a competitor can you tell us what's in it um i've done some projects that involves analyzing uh what i like to describe as sludge uh which was fun Okay, okay. Pieces because they just scooped it out of this like sump. Uh and that was that was a fun project. Cool. Awesome. That is so oh my gosh, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. Very I mean, we're learning lots uh during this yeah, interview. It's a very much an invisible industry, like mm -hmm. fragrances and flavors as another invisible industry because they're everywhere. Like you go down to the grocery store and you look at chip bags, they can tell you that a chip bag is a reverse print that is then mushed together with an aluminum backing so mm. that the print and the chips don't ever touch i mean it's like chemistry is everywhere like i mean it mm -hmm. makes it makes sense that you can point to any like industry or any company or anything in like our society and be like there's probably at least a couple of chemists behind this somehow like doing doing something about it oh, that's so cool Okay, so on this note, we often think, um, especially like, you know, Geraldo and I are PhD candidates in graduate school, we often think about industrial chemists as having PhDs. Um, however, you had a pretty successful career without one. So can you tell us a little bit about um, why you didn't end up pursuing a PhD and how has that impacted your career? Um, and maybe even like a little bit of advice for anybody who's also in a similar boat that you were in. Yeah, so as I alluded to earlier, it was not for a lack of trying. I definitely, after undergraduate, I played like 10 different PhD programs and I think they could all tell that I did not know what I wanted to do. And to be fair to them, I did not know what I wanted to do. At that point, I was still an, an organic chemist who was doing microwave-assisted Suzuki-Miara cross-coupling reactions. And to be fair, I did need a little bit more time. So after getting my master's degree, I had a little bit better idea of what I wanted to do, but still hadn't had the eureka moment of you're not an organic chemist. And so I only applied to three programs afterwards, um, and I didn't get any of them either. So the not the that really forced my hand as to what my options were. 
so I left school after getting my master's degree. I moved back home and started applying for jobs. Now, though, I've been working for six years. Uh, I will have been here three years in May, and I've got three years at my other place. I uh, am a couple years, my according to my boss, I'm a couple years away from having a title as senior scientist. And I think it's really important to look, you know, when you're looking at jobs, uh, you'll note that it says like PhD slash zero or master's plus six. I'm at the same level where I could apply to somebody who has a PhD and we're at the same level because I've been working and I've had a lot of you know, practical experience, not that a PhD is not practical, but a lot of experience that is uh, in the industry and that can sometimes help make up for not having the title of just PhD and doctor. Cool. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I feel like, yeah, we just, we don't, we don't have too many masters chemists on our podcast. It's always just kind of nice to learn about people's different backgrounds and where mm-hmm. they ended up, like how they ended up where they are and, exactly. and whatnot. So, but I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, you've had, sounds like a very successful um, career, especially at this current company so far. And so, I mean, That's good for cool. you. And I'm glad that it ended up working out. Yeah. I will say I've spent far more time in hardware stores than I was ever led to believe as an undergraduate or a master's student. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So switching gears now a little bit to the topic that we really, really, really want to, I mean, not that we didn't want to talk about, obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but um, we alluded to this earlier. So going back a few years in your timeline, you've been an OSTEM um, team team leader since like 2015, around there, uh, working in different committees and groups. And currently you're serving as the vice president of projects and programs. Um, we would definitely love to hear about, you know, your time and OSTEM, how it all started to how you're occupying this position and how that experience has been. Uh, I will say that uh, I said this to the volunteers a while back. Um, volunteering with OSTEM has been one of the greatest joys and pleasures of my life. Um, it started because, as I said earlier, I was a grad student. I decided that as an as an undergrad, I was really involved with the fraternity. I served as, you know, I served on the leadership team with the fraternity, was in charge of events. And so we ran a series of uh, merit badges for the local scout troops in the area, from like the chemistry merit badge all the way through like rocket science. I don't think it's called that. But basically every May we shot rockets off and built rockets with the scouts and it was a ton of fun. Um, I coordinated all of that. And so after doing that for three years, I'm done. I'm stepping out. Uh, This has been fun, but I'm gonna go into the professional branch and not talk to you except for like twice a year. I'm still involved with Axe in case anyone out there is listening and is concerned. I'm still very much involved. But at at the time I needed a break. And so because I also lost my work study job because I was a graduate student and I got graduate student assistance, I suddenly had a lot of free time on my hands. Well, as much free time as a grad student can have anyway. And so I got a little bit more involved with the local chapter of OSTEM at uh, Rose. And that involved going to a conference in October 2014 in Georgia Tech. And it was my very first OSTEM conference. It was a partner conference with Novel Step, which is another really great organization. Also, now they're called Out to Innovate. While I was there, I met a person who does like a particle physicist. And we were talking about the NMR 
because my professors always said, make sure you leave your credit cards and your cell phone out of the NMR room so that the magnet doesn't destroy them. And I was like, yeah, that makes totally makes sense. Meanwhile, I go to the conference and I repeat the same story and this uh, professor now was like, oh no, you don't have to worry about that at all. In fact, I wrote an Android app for my phone so I can measure magnetic fields. And so you're, you know, the NMR magnets not gonna destroy your cell phone. And it was amazing. It was an amazing experience because this professor is also a trans woman. And so here am I, surrounded by queer people, having a, a very intense conversation about NMR and whether or not a, the magnet will destroy my cell phone. Um, and I think that moment was the moment I decided that I really wanted to get more involved with the organization. And so perfect timing because I think the next day even, the board at the time got up on stage. It was like six people. And they're like, we need volunteers because we want to do this again next year. And I was like, I have time to volunteer. So I applied. I get a uh, phone call from the then president, Eric Patridge, uh, who basically explains that there was some confusion on my application about whether I wanted the programming chair or the vice programming chair. And... After asking about, well, what is the difference? Eric explained, oh, the programming chair is more people-focused. Well, the vice programming chair is more internal-focused. And I was like, okay, yeah, I could, do, I could do the programming chair position if, if you think I'd be a better fit for that because I've had all this experience managing volunteers with the scout program as an undergrad. So he's like, yes, we do. We'll call you. And I'm like, okay. So basically, when the what ended up being the strangest phone interview I've ever had, I got voluntold that I was doing the programming chair for this conference. And so I go from having attended a conference to like six months later, planning the next conference for what ended up being 300 people. And that was a, a wild experience. I got to work with the, at the time, vice president of project and programs. And it was a really amazing experience. And the year we go to Pittsburgh in 2015. We have a great conference, Carnegie Mellon. And then they're like, do you want to do it again next year? And I said, yeah, sure. And so then we brought out a couple more people to the conference team. We go to Denver. We have an amazing conference. I'm like, do you want to do it again this year, next year? And next thing I know, it's uh, 2018. I've been the programming chair for three conferences. And... Uh, the current per, uh, conference chair is like, this has been fun, but I have to leave now. And so they were like, do you want to take over the whole conference? And I was like, sure, why not? Not realizing exactly the amount of work that the conference chair does. So 2019 was our uh, in-person conference in Detroit. It was an amazing experience. And then the pandemic happened and we had two virtual conferences, which were successful. They set out to do what they were supposed to do. We met and had two weekends of amazing content. In fact, I feel like uh, this podcast came. Yeah, we, 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 we get yep, 2021. 2020? 2020. 2020. 2020. 2020. 2020. Oh, I have it on my, I have it on my CV, so I, I don't yes, remember the year. Me too. It was one of those years. But, but it was really fun. Oh, actually, yeah, it, it was so fun. It might have been 2021. 20, last year. I think it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was such yeah. a oh, it was such a fun. It was I was fun. so honored when I really got the email. So you had the invitation to go, yeah. and like the session was so good. Yes. Yeah, amazing. Ah, <laughs> uh, that is the experience I live for. It's so amazing to hear that something that I put like an amount of time I don't wish to count 
because it would be staggeringly large uh, in two has been such a wonderful time for the people who attend. After doing conference for what ended up being eight conferences this past November, I decided that I was done with the conference team. And so in Boston this past November, I stepped down and officially welcomed a new conference chair into the position. Now I serve as the vice president for projects and programs, as Harada said. And what that means is that I have a different set of programs. So in 2021, we launched our professional development summit. It's an intimate career weekend where we take uh, early career professionals slash graduate students who are in that, like, you know, worked for a couple of years, you know, have a feel of what they're doing or you have know, been in grad school for a couple of years and are now, like, realizing that they have to do this probably for another 47 or 50 years until they can retire and are struggling with that. And so we held it in Atlanta in November and it was a huge success, so much so that we are doing another one in March of 2023 in Milwaukee. And so we're currently in the planning process for that, but also under my purview is project and programs as a scholarship program. So in 2020, we decided we were going to do a scholarship program for the 2020, no, 2021 to 2022 school year. And so we gave out $30,000 of OSTEMS money and we managed to fund six OSTEMS scholarships. We also brought in some of our community partners and funded an additional uh, five $5,000 scholarships. And so in total, we funded like $55,000 of scholarships in the 2021 to 2022 school year. In the 2022 to 2023 school year, uh, we were able to fund, again, six scholarships from OSTEM, but this time we were able to bring in nine scholarships from outside partners. And so we funded over $50,000 of scholarships this past year. And so I've been really amazing. That, that, that is so amazing. That is incredible, honestly. Oh my gosh, wow. that's so cool. Yeah, it's been really amazing. And as a board member, I also get to serve and help focus the view of the organization at a much higher level. And so programs like the Professional Development Summit we had in 2019, we had a leadership development summit that we might be looking at bringing back. Uh, the logistics of it are a little bit more complicated because it's student focused and you have to handhold students a little bit more than you do professionals. So it's been really amazing. That is awesome. Like that is such an impressive resume. <laughs> like honestly, of experiences that you've done for OSTEM, like that is so cool. I'm curious, like, what has been, like, one of your favorite parts about, I mean, you've been working with OSTEM for a while now. Like, what has been your one of your favorite parts um, or maybe, like, events or programs that have just been, like, one of the highlights of working there? Yeah, so I think uh, I have one story to tell that is kind of humorous. Um, I don't know if it would be my favorite, but uh, in 2017, we were in Chicago and uh, we were having the CIA was as part of the intelligence community was presenting a video that their internal teams had made at the conference. And so it's, we're on site in Chicago at this point it is like the week leading up to the conference. And I have to call my contact at the CIA. And if you don't know, the CIA is pretty, when they register, it's first name, last initial dot. 
Uh, and so to know someone's like full name and phone number from the CIA is very privileged information. And so I, uh, I have to ask them a question. I can't remember the questions at this point in time, but I call them up and uh, I know what I'm expecting and somebody different answers the phone. And I'm like, oh, I'm looking for so-and-so. And they're like, oh, they move desks. I'm doing their job now. I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm Matthew Lovers, I'm coming, we have those. Um, and they go, oh, I know all about you. And to hear that someone from the CIA. <laughs> like, oh, God, they have yes. a file. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's In so reality, funny. <laughs> In reality, what probably happened was they were being transitioned into the role. And so right. the person who had the role before explained but also, if I worked for the CIA, I would 100% say that all the time. Just the yeah. reaction of, oh, we know all about you. <laughs> <laughs> we know everything about you, yes. That was so funny. <laughs> Amazing. So kind of going along with your really impressive career in OSTEM, I'm curious, has your work in OSEM impacted your chemistry career at all? Um, kind of like your role in industry, has there been like any overlap or intersections? Uh, so working for relatively small companies and companies that my current company is in the transition of being a, a large corporate firm, it still feels family run. There's not a lot of uh, corporate support. Um, so at larger corporations, you have things like employer resource groups where you have a budget or little budget anyway, to be able to then support the uh, employees who fit identities and they go beyond just queer identities. They have racial identities, they have gender identities and a wide variety of different identities than ERGs. And companies I've worked for don't have those. Uh, so being able to have like the, the OSM knowledge and I haven't been able to really do anything with it yet. Uh, I do have a lot of contacts though. So that's one of the things that has been really helpful is that I have a large network. Unfortunately, all the people I know were hired in Chicago and I needed a job that might've changed now. Um, but it's very nice to be able to know, oh yeah, okay. I do have somebody who, if I know somebody is interested in something, I know because of my work with OSTEM, like if you need, if you're curious about the aerospace industry or you want to talk to somebody about that, I know people. If you uh, actually, Thermo Fisher was a sponsor. We buy a lot of their products. And they were handing these out at our conference. Um, Those are really cute. Nalgene is the only, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. Nalgene is the only like forward-facing or customer-facing brand they have. So we right. help they sell the scientists. Um, and so it's been it's been amazing to be able to have like moments where here I am working as a research chemist for a really small company sitting in my car in front of our office park building that secretly has a lab in the back of it, even though it clearly used to be like something else where we used to drive cars in there with these huge garage doors uh, at my first job. And I'm sitting on the phone talking to someone who's very, very high up in the like HR department at Chevron because they were having one of the Chevron employees come speak at our conference, um, a panel. And, you know, to have the juxtaposition of having this like very high profile person call me on my personal cell phone while I sit out in my car outside my very tiny place of work was a very interesting experience as well. But I think that really uh, symbolizes what I've gotten from OSTEM is the ability to 
be in those rooms and have those conversations and be privy to all of that without having that support at the businesses that I've worked for. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, you know, sort of in a similar vein, we feel like that too, because this platform, you know, you use OSAM as your platform. We use this podcast of our platform. We're also getting to know that it's like very important, cool people like yourself. So it's like, you know, we're growing our network of people that we know. So it's always cool. <laughs> but, you know, along these lines, and you sort of talked about this earlier, you have, you know, you're an analytical chemist, so you have your 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 job and you also do all of these things with OSTAM. So we're very curious, how do you organize your time yourself to deal with, you know, all of this work? So if it doesn't go on my calendar, it doesn't exist. I have a invite <laughs> for this meeting, made sure it was on the calendar because if it's not on the calendar, it won't happen. And really that was in grad school. I was tutoring as well to support myself financially. And so I'd have all these tutoring clients, my OSTAM calls, work i had to do like teach right after teaching classes but i had to go lecture in labs and whatnot and so i had a planner everything went in the calendar if it didn't go i would even schedule fun things in my calendar because if it's not in the calendar it doesn't exist so if somebody's like hey can you meet at like 6 30 on tuesday night and it's like uh no i cannot i have drinks with friends at that point that's one of the ways the other way is uh, multiple google chrome windows or like profiles so i have a work profile i have an OSIN profile i have a personal profile uh, and then on windows you can have multiple desktops and so i just i separate everything this is for this this is for that this is for this so that's been one way that i've been able to keep everything separate and you know if I need something from one thing I make sure to like do the paper trail of sending it via email to the right email address yeah that's very that's very smart I'm also like very attached to my calendar um I mm -hmm. I, I have like everything in my calendar is also like color-coded so like certain because I have like an iPad calendar and then I also have a Google calendar so I have like multiple things also said that I really don't forget it's like a little psycho, but yeah, you're right. If I don't have it like written down somewhere, I don't, I'm not going to get like the computer yeah. notification that something's happening. I will like completely forget about it. So no, yeah, for I real. definitely relate to that. When, when, when I started grad school, like, everyone was using Google Calendar and I was like, why would you use Google Calendar? Like, I don't like that. And then now I don't, I can't leave without Google Calendar. Like, yeah. it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's like, I need it. Amazing. Amazing. All right, so one of our last questions, question that we ask on every single episode, who is your chemistry or science role model? And you can have more than one. Okay, so I, I had to do a little bit of thinking about this beforehand. Um, growing up, it was definitely like Miss Fizzle and Slash or Bill Nye the Science Guy. These really public uh, science educators. Um, because they did a lot. In fact, when I was in grad school, I realized that I think Netflix had released Bill Nye the Science Guy, the original run. And so I went back and rewatched it. I was uh, shocked, first of all, about how in-depth it actually went with some of the subjects beyond just what I thought I remembered as a surface level of a you know, presentation. And I was also really shocked about how diverse it was. It was television from the 90s. I was not expecting that level of diversity, but apparently kids programming, when they do it, they do it hard. So, 
yeah, it was amazing yeah. because they brought in all sorts of different scientists. You know, they'd have a guest scientist come on, somebody's doing science in the field, and they weren't all cis straight white men. It was amazing. In terms of like actual people, I'd have to say, not that Bill is not an actual person, but I'd have to say uh, Rachel Carlson and uh, the work that she did as a naturalist and to bring about the like, her book, The Silent Spring, um, bringing focus towards, you know, all of the birds dying and help to kickstart the environmental movement because a large part of my undergraduate degree and something that is always in the back of my mind as a chemist is how to be more environmentally friendly. I did, the reason that my undergraduate thesis was microwave-assisted reactions was because of the green chemistry aspects of being able to run a reaction in the microwave for 10 minutes versus, you know, 48 hours of heating with an oil bath where you have to run water the entire time to keep it from boiling over versus, you know, slight overpressurization of the microwave. Um, yeah, and so, you know, the person realizing there was a real person behind that story and the work that she did to bring about that uh, knowledge, of, and not knowledge, bring about awareness to everyone. That's awesome. That's Two sweet. really great really answers. Sweet. Yeah. I love I think that you're the first person to ever mention um like children's programming, like the Magic School West Mrs. Oh, Fizzle yeah. and then Bill Nye. I think you might be the first one. I'm like trying to remember it. That, really? That's such I love a great us. that's I think yeah that's such a great uh a role model that you know we don't really think about but mm-hmm. a lot of us as as chemists and scientists are really like that's those programs starts like that development starts at a young age and so mm-hmm. i mean it makes oh, yeah. sense that um those programs would have such a big impact so that's, that's such a great answer and so for our last question uh where can people find you on social media if they want to connect with you absolutely so i do have a twitter for however long don't yeah um, <laughs> yeah uh, i believe on twitter my handle is william labard but if you search my first name last name you should be able to find me mm-hmm. um one of the places that i've been really kind of cultivating a network in is linkedin and mm-hmm. so you can find me on linkedin uh as linkedin.com slash in slash uh first name last name no dot no hyphen nothing mm-hmm. like that uh, and I, I will spell it out if you need me to, but I'm sure it's in the in the episode notes. Yeah. 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 We'll have it in the episode notes. Perfect. Awesome. Lovely. Awesome. Well, this has been a really great interview. It's been so fascinating learning about your career and your time in OSTEM. Um, thank you for all of the work that you do. Um, yeah, honestly. OSTEM so impressive and so mm-hmm. amazing and i'm sure that like our hopefully our, our paths will cross in person somewhere somewhere yeah. down the line um, hopefully we're gonna yeah. be in anaheim next year for the conference Ooh. okay yeah, so, okay. yeah anaheim yeah that's that yep i hope so yeah yeah that would be very fun well thank you so much uh for being on the show absolutely yeah, thank you. a lovely time and yeah of course we'll talk to you later bye uh, you as well bye, <laughs> bye. We hope y'all are staying safe and healthy out there. Remember to fill out the new nomination form on our Twitter if you're interested in being interviewed for the show. You can follow us at MFQCPod. Take care, everybody, and stay safe. We'll see you soon. Bye. Adios. (laughs)